Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Tyler Dunn at the Go Along Podcast. A quick preview of this episode. Paul Denner Jr. of The Athletic, the excellent Cincinnati Bengals beat writer, joined me for... A really interesting conversation about a really interesting team, the Cincinnati Bengals, one of those teams, for whatever reason, we're not really talking nearly enough about, uh, by and large, all offseason, all summer long, but they were in the Super Bowl last year, and we plan on getting to a lot of Bengals content here at Go Long. So a huge welcome to all of the Bengal fans who found our podcast and found our newsletter, GoLongTD.com, this past week. I've noticed... Your arrival, and I greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation, Paul. We get into uh, Jamar Chase's unbelievable training camp, which he somehow has managed to take his game to another level. And Paul really gets into the detail of that. And then we kind of get back to that defense, which is, is really what we're not talking nearly enough about with this with this team. The defense was lights out toward the end of last season. Some Joe Burrow talk, some talk about the beat. Really enjoyed this one. Hope you do too. Thanks, everyone. What's up, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast, and absolutely uh, thrilled to welcome on our next guest. Because Paul, we've got a lot of Bengals fans listening and reading at Go Long, so we got to give them what they want. They want yeah. some Paul Denner Jr. in their life. The uh, gosh, how, how long have you covered the team? You're obviously at the Athletic right now, covering the Bengals. But as yeah. long as I've known you, you've been there. Yeah, this is, uh, let's see, my first training camp was in Georgetown, Kentucky in 2010. So I guess this is my 13th training camp covering the team for a number of different outlets. But as like the main, main full guy since 2013, 14 in that, that area. So almost about, about a decade full and then a bunch of training camps. So we've seen it all. Well, you do uh, not just blowing smoke up your ass. You do a phenomenal job. I mean... For those who don't know, Paul, I mean, your versatility, breaking news, writing features, game stories, columns. Um, really, if I ever want to know something about the Bengals, I'm reading your stuff. So thank you for everything you do. And, you know, Bengals fans are lucky to have you, I think. Appreciate it. And hear that podcast growling, our podcast that we have uh, that we 
love love doing here covering the team too there's 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 too many you you can't have to these days right td i mean like if you are not doing a little bit of everything you're you're a dinosaur i mean it's hard totally. not to, it's hard to to not be you know I, I i remember you know you talk about when we first started not to tangent already before we even get going but like when, when you know 10 12 years ago i mean there you were siloed like you you hear you're the news writer side you're you write columns okay you're on the radio now like if you're one person you have to be doing all that and i always felt like oh man i'm like a jack of all trades and but now the evolution of media like you better be a jack of all trades or you can't do it you know and so it's kind of fun to see the direction that it's gone because i think it's spawned a lot of really really talented people um that are that are young and really good at a lot of different stuff it's enjoyable too i mean you get to tap into different parts of your brain right like you're you're covering the team and you've probably written about joe burrow and jamar chase and joe mixon more times you can count but to be able to come at the team from different angles you know one day you're trying to figure out what's going on with jesse bates and that contract situation and it's you know got some hard news there some meat on the bone and then the next day maybe you can uh just go off on an opinion you have about something. You've kind of, you, you have that freedom to just think differently day to day on the beat. Yeah. And, and I think you have to, or, or just, you know, long form talk it out, you know, and, and show personality that way and be just more honest about, you know, I always, it's the old, you want it to be your friend, your knowledgeable friend on the couch next to you. I just think people are so much better at being able to make fans feel like they're your friend on the couch now because of outlets like this, like, a, but you know, the, everybody has a podcast, uh, but you know, to be able to write in different ways and to just, and show that you're just a person trying to relay what you know to people in, in different ways and, and try to help people, whether it be better connected to the team or feel like you're being accountable to the team. Like you, you can just do that in so many different ways. Now it makes it, I think, um, a lot more engaging for fans to kind of under, understand, not just the team, but your job, you know, and you a little bit. And, you know, that's, I think that's fun. Makes it more fun. I'm hoping we can add meme to your, uh, you know, various job <laughs> titles. Just, just me. that's it. You're, you're, a, you're a phenomenal meme. I wasn't sure it was you at first. And then I'm yeah. looking closer. I'm like, that's absolutely Paul. So for people yeah. who don't know that, that clip that went viral, Jamar Chase and a lot of training camp clips have seemed to uh, take off this, this camp, but that was a legit, insane grab by Jamar Chase yeah. near your sideline where the reporters watch practice. And uh, I had since left Cincinnati. I wish I was there standing by you, but your face, man, the camera captured it perfectly. It, you captured the catch perfectly. The disbelief I mean, yeah. of the face well, scrunching. Just, well, and it was, but it, it, the here's, and I've never, I've never really had that many people pause and zoom my face and send it to me before like over and over again I, I, I that's you know the one rule in life don't be a meme whatever happened wherever you go whatever you do don't be a meme and then all of a sudden you are and I and I was just like but I felt like it was just a total natural reaction to what a catch and can you believe this dude like oh always with this stuff like he's he's just ridiculous he, he's had an unbelievable camp and that that face, I I really have made that face probably once a day, just on something that he's done because he's just uh, he's really he's just ridiculous and it's crazy to watch him every day, whatever he does. 
it's a good reminder. Like we're all in this world where everybody has a camera. We're always a split second away from being immortalized by just the way our face looks or something we're yeah, doing. Know. You know, you know what? I, like really, unfortunate. It's I such just, an innocent you face know. you made, but like think about. I mean, who knows? You could, you could be picking your nose. You could be just looking disgusted. Nose. It's yeah. It, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. What's no. that? That's why I feel you know for these athletes too. Like they become memes just for anything they do out there on the field that's stupid that would normally just be forgotten. I mean, and you're out there in the heat of battle, true, and everything, trying to like make a living and kill yourself against these other elite athletes, and you do one weird thing, and now that's all you hear about for the next like three weeks, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, that's that's where we are though now, you know. Try don't be a meme, but you probably will. I think we all we all are going to be a meme some point there's exactly it'll get us all definitely one way or another social media will, you will might victimize get me. us all on this podcast you might get me and turn me into a meme i don't know if i can trust you on that well we don't like to cancel anybody we're we're we're, we're very anti-cancel culture here okay, so you're good. safe, you're safe. Good. thank you this is safe you safe. always have a home at go along if you do get canceled just come come on over we'll, we'll hire you we'll give we'll, we'll give okay. you some beer or something it's good yeah. to have a landing spot i like that <laughs> if i ever screw up too bad we might as well talk about the Bengals a little bit. So Jamar Chase, you wrote a story, full disclosure, I haven't read it yet. I see a lot of people talking about it. And I cannot wait to sink my teeth in your feature on Jamar Chase. But um, give us a little sneak peek at what you learned about, as you said, a dude who is just terrorizing defenses this summer. Yeah, I mean, he's he really has kind of been – and it's odd to call him the star of camp. The camp felt weird without Burrow because, you know, it's yeah. like – I mean, you were there. It just, it feels false. (laughs) It's like, everything's like, okay, we haven't really started yet until nine starts throwing the ball, but he, it's crazy to say that a guy who was the offensive rookie of the year and really the talk of the league and helped drive a team to the Super Bowl um, could be the star of camp. Like, yeah, almost like a, not a surprise, but almost like a ride. We'd call him a riser, right? We always could do risers or followers or something like that. I mean, he's been, so he's been, he, you can almost see the jump that he's taken, but the, what has stood out to me in the point of the piece is, you know, the Bengals didn't know totally what they had in chase last year. They thought they hoped they did, but remember this point in, in camp last year, it was, can chase catch the ball? He had drops. He's talking about the stripes on the ball and, right. and then he had a bad game against Washington and, and they're like, he drops everything and he's getting clowned you know, on every national show and people are calling him a bust and he comes out and has this great season. So, but there was, you know, that was not made up. That was not some fictionalized thing. It got out of control, but it wasn't fiction. It, it, he really was struggling in camp. He struggled in games. He was in his own head, admittedly. And so they, they came into the season not really knowing what to expect of Chase, what to get. Then about midway through, he's a phenom, and he and he and the skill set you thought you had was even better. And so it took a while for them to really start opening the box on ways to use him because he's such a versatile receiver. He's he's not just an X run, you know, run a nine down the field. He's not 
he's his catch and run and his after the catch is like Cooper Cup stuff, you know, where he never gets tackled by the first guy. And you saw that a bunch. The game, the first game against the Ravens, he goes in the blender and he goes 82 yards, part of his 200 yard day. You know, you saw him do everything. Then you saw his just pure acceleration, like the, the home game against Kansas City in week 17, one of his most famous plays of the year. He just catches a basic comeback and outruns the entire Chiefs secondary out of nowhere, all that had the angle on him. They're, they learned over the course of the year what they had, and they tried to use it more. And you saw the point. I went and looked at slot usage because it's like, okay, let's. You, you, they got. They have a one now. They have a legit one. Learn now how to start using him to keep other teams off balance because they show up looking for where's one, where's Chase. And at week thirteen last year, you could see they dropped the hammer of expanding his usage where. He was only in the slot about 10% of the time through the first 12 weeks. In the last nine, which includes their run to the Super Bowl, it was 25%. And then, and the target percentage in the slot went from about 11%. So just of the slot routes in the first week nine, he was only, he was only getting about 11% of targets. So then the last, the last portion of the season, all the way also up into the mid-20s where Burrow was looking for him more inside there. The plays were designed more to utilize him inside. And it's, it's no coincidence, he took off again. There was, people don't realize about Chase's first season, he had the incredible start. Then teams really focused on him, started to take him away. T. Higgins' star rose as teams started to pay attention. And then that last portion, as the Bengals started moving around, Chase took off a second time to that next level. Well, now they had a whole offseason to brainstorm other ways to do this with him and utilize that versatile skill set and they kind of spent a bunch of time brainstorming coming up with ways to use it in the backfield more in the slot more uh design motions things that stacks things that can help free him up to to keep teams thinking about him at the line so then there goes higgins there goes boyd there goes whoever or there goes chase right so keeping teams off balance, never knowing where he is, they needed to get him up at the levels of Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, guys that are constantly used all over the formation. He needed to be up on that level. Not He was one of the lowest of, of the guys last year that had 80 receptions and 1,000 yards. There was 28 of them. He was 25th in slot usage. That's an insanely low number for somebody who is a born versatile weapon. That's, I mean, that's part of his number one skill set. So I expect that number to be up in the 30% range, double that this year, and see a lot more versatility being how they get him the ball because teams aren't going to let him just run down the field and go over top of him again. You're going to see deep shells. You're going to see all that stuff. And then it just opens up underneath for him to kind of do his catch and run stuff. So it's kind of the evolution of Chase that we're going to see in year two that we saw at the tail end of last year, which is a very, 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 long-winded answer that no one's now going to pay to read the piece because I just described it. (laughs) We appreciate it. That's right. (laughs) Everybody subscribe to Paul's work. That was a phenomenal breakdown though. (laughs) Really, I've never heard it in those terms and man, a lot to unpack. I want to bring it back though to that training camp last year because you're right. We forget (laughs) the drops and talking about not having the stripes on the ball when it's coming towards you. It he did sound like a receiver who was in his own head. And it's interesting to hear you say he, he was, you know, sometimes I wonder, all right, we're not there every day. Like, of course, everybody who's there every day sees that he's catching the ball a ton on, 
in practice and he's fine, but he, he wasn't fine. He, he was mentally a little off. Fine. How how bad was it at that point? No, and they recognized it. He, you know, he talked about, you know, and this is, again, this is the power of Joe Burrow and about how much Burrow's confidence. I mean, there, there was one public, private, just Burrow was in full defense of Chase the entire time. You know, I had coaches tell me off the record, every single time this ever got brought up around Burrow, all he said was, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. When the lights come on, he'll be fine. And they never, he never showed a single ounce privately of any doubt. And it's to Chase and then publicly the same way, always defending him. So when after the opener, when Chase catches a deep ball for a touchdown and does the gritty and goes off and they win, beat Minnesota in overtime, Burrow, before he sits down in the press conference, goes, Oh, I thought he couldn't catch to all of us in the press conference room, you know, and because he's, it was his way of saying, I've been telling y'all this was going to be fine. Like to everybody inside the room, outside the room, because he knew that he needed to be in his corner, that chase was in his own head, that chase was feeling it a little bit. And chase was wondering like you do, if you're a rookie and you're struggling and you're feeling that pressure that he just needed somebody to believe in him. Burrow's so innate. He's so natural at understanding what guys need that he knew that. And it, and it really helped Chase get through that and get out of his own head and take off the way that he did. We forget the power of that kind of support, too. I think you're seeing it to the extreme in, in Miami, right? I mean, with Tua Tunga Viola, the flip side with a quarterback whose confidence was just mashed the bits with the previous coaching staff and the offense that they were running and was in a really bad place. I mean, he knew they didn't want him. They didn't want him. And now you have Tyreek Hill, Chase Edmonds, Mike McDaniel. I mean, everybody at every opportunity is just banging the table for two. I mean, we'll see if two was good. We don't really know yet, yeah. but he's been given every opportunity. And, and I think that God, just hearing your teammates and your peers speak in those terms privately and publicly the, the mental side of the game, it's we, we forget about, we underestimate. It's, it's not played on a spreadsheet. All that stuff matters for a guy like yeah. Jamar Chase. I, I got to admit, we, we've talked about um, over the offseason, we had a, something about, you know, where, where were we most wrong on some, some sports cliche or something over the last decade? And I said, you know what? Culture. My mind has been changed because I got so sick of every single introductory press conference for every coach ever culture. Got to set the culture. Going to, going to set my culture. And it's just like, come on, man, like bring in the players. Culture is, is a winning streak. Okay. Culture is everybody wins. Everybody's happy. Right. And there's obviously that's part of it. Like establishing culture is, is, is easy to do when you're winning and a lot harder to do when you're losing, but I watched it here. And this was not a team of stars last year. And this, they have some, they have the quarterback, they've chased, they have, you know, dudes, Trey Hendrickson, whatever, but it's about, this league is about getting the most out of everybody else. This it's a, your stars have to carry. You have to have that. You have to have the QB or your toast, but the rest, the next step where the Bengals ended up last year is about belief is about dudes that get the most out of themselves because they love going to work every day. They, they, you know, build off of each other. And I just never really believed that stuff until I watched it with my own eyes happen with this team 
really not just last year, you know, really in the background during their four eleven and one season in twenty twenty. Right. Um, that win against the Steelers was a was notable. And that win. was the public that was really the public view of it, where it was like, Oh, okay, this team is still playing hard. It still matters. They're they're playing with an energy and a belief. Um that but that was really simmering in the background that the from the midpoint of that season on where it was like, man, they're not winning. They're not talented enough. They got a lot of problems and there's some issues still with some toxicity, but like you could see a portion was evolving. The, 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 the vision was starting to evolve. They'd just been so, you know, they were playing without Burrow the second half of the season. I think you would have seen so much more of it. Uh, it was starting to build. And then, so when he came back healthy and they added chase and they kind of got rid of, all of the old Marvin Lewis pieces finally it just took them two years to kind of really gut the locker room and with all the guys that they wanted to have in there and and most importantly clear the path for the guys they brought in to be culture setters and leaders to actually do that because when you come in and this is no slim these guys they were just from a pre- the previous group when Gino Atkins and Carlos Dunlap and AJ Green and Giovanni Bernard, who are great guys and did great things and were phenomenal football players, but when they're there, they're, you you seed the room to them. They earned it. They're the vets. Mm-hmm. This is their place. They've been here for a decade or however long. When they're gone, you feel like you can take ownership of the room. You feel like you can move in the direction that you wanted to, and that was a big deal. And that yeah. didn't happen until the year before that and so then that culture could really take off and you just saw it there was just such energy there was such fire in the way they played every week like you just don't see and then you saw all these role players start to really have great career years all of them because it it, it, it built on itself you know defensively Chidube Awuzie was incredible a very good corner had it became a great corner um Eli Apple you know, uh, the whole Mike Hilton w- was taken to the next level. I mean, Trey Hendrickson, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, BJ Hill, they traded from the Giants. And these are guys that came in and all of a sudden were playing great because they fed off of each other. They, they fed into this whole thing. And um, it, that is real. And I've just never seen it quite like I saw it happen last year. And we saw that in the very beginning, early portions of the season, even when they were five and four and, you know, whatever you still saw that they were getting the most out of it because guys really loved the team. They loved playing for each other. They loved the direction it was headed and it was fun. And I've seen a covered a lot of teams around here that were not a lot of those things. Uh, and, and you see why teams lose in the first round of the playoffs and then why teams can make special runs. Not that they will every year, but you can see that that's the difference in this league where the talent's the same across the board, that thing, whatever it is that you're able to create mm-hmm. is, is really the stuff that that sets off special runs. I feel like we're a couple bald guys staring into each other's football souls. I could not agree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same. It's so true though. It's, it's so, so I true. Know, honestly, when I was at Bleach Report, uh, I want to say it was ahead of the 2018 season when the Browns, you know, they get Odell and Jarvis Landry and Baker's back and Freddie Kitchens is the head coach. I mean, I wrote a big story. I spent some time around the team mocking the idea of culture, right? Just outright, yeah. you know, just looking down upon anybody who, uh, you know, thinks that culture matters. Because I agree, it's, it's talent. Like, you'd rather have talent. And then these last five years since, I've, I've kind of come around to it. I just think 
like you, I hate hearing the term and hearing the press conference, you know, cliches and dribble, just ugh. But when done right, you need it. You're absolutely right. Like you, you want to maximize every ounce of potential in every single player. And I love the list of players you just rattled off. And it's kind of a good transition into the defense too. But you've got dudes that were let go by other teams or not resigned by other teams who are pissed off, you know, kind of outcasts, have every reason to go out there and ball out and have a career year. And they somehow were able to find that magic formula, that magic potion and, 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 and make Patrick Mahomes look like a shitty quarterback in that second half. The same Patrick Mahomes who did whatever he wanted to against the Bills the week before. You say I mean, that was second half. Player. That was the second time they did it to him that year. The same thing happened in week 17. People don't re- remember that. You know, the game that the Bengals won to clinch the AFC North and the playoffs and all that stuff, beating Patrick Mahomes when Jamar Chase had 266. But really part a big part of that story was they had a huge lead in that game, the Chiefs did. And the Bengals just shut them down, only three points in the second half. And they did the same thing in the AFC title game. So I think that's where frustration comes from, from people here, certainly Bengals fans, but players on that defense of being like, oh, I talk about them as a fluke. They did it twice to Patrick Mahomes last year. They, they <laughs> yeah. beat him twice. And they did it the same way both times in their place with all, all of it on the line and at paul brown stadium and people kept trying to call it a fluke the whole way through and it's like how many times you got to do something to the premier player in the sport you know and prove that you can beat the premier team that's been to the four straight AFC championship games until it's considered real and i think that defense felt like they fought that all year what people don't realize is during that run because everybody wanted to talk about burrow and they should he's he's that dude but like their defense carried them I mean, the, the offense struggled in the postseason often because of the sacks, everything. So people are like, oh, Burrow overcame the sacks. Yeah, so did a defense that was w- incredibly opportunistic, got turnovers, got big stops. And when short fields were created against them, they forced field goals over and over again and made the plays. I mean, you know, they had three straight games. Every AFC playoff win ended with the last defensive play being an interception. Okay. So you have Jermaine Pratt in the wild card game, ended it on fourth and nine, fourth and goal from the nine, intercepting the ball so that the Raiders couldn't tie it up or potentially go for two and win it. Then you had the win in Tennessee was the interception where Eli Apple breaks it up and Logan Wilson picks it off to set up Evan McPherson from 52 yards to beat the Titans. And then you had Jesse Bates's famous play where he knocks the ball back to Von Bell in overtime to set up Burrow on the short field and the field goal to win it. The defense set up every single one. They finished every game with a turnover, with an interception. And they did this all year. I mean, the opener against Minnesota, Minnesota was getting ready to win. They were people, I mean, it's a long forgotten game from week one, but they're, they're just running it out in overtime, giving it to Dalvin Cook in Bengals end, getting ready to trot out their kicker. And Jermaine Pratt rips it out on defensive play for them, number like 92 on like a 90-degree day. Just right before he goes to the ground, rips it out. They get the fumble. Burrow goes down and puts him in the field goal range with no time left, and they kick the field goal to beat the Titans, to beat the Vikings in overtime. They did it all year like this. and But they got no credit because everyone wants to talk about Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Burrow and right, Mixon, and rightfully so. 
But under the radar, they were eighth in points per drive allowed last year. Top 10 defense coming from deep in the 20s for the last right. previous two years. Trey Hendrickson was a legit star. Cheeto, Cheeto Bayouze was a straight hard number one, undeniable number one. PFF, I think, had him graded in the top five uh, in regular season. Um, you had young players emerging everywhere. Jesse Bates is a star. Von Bell was a leader. I mean, they had, they had great players, but they never were talked about, never really given much credit, never really given much attention because of the star power on the other side of the ball. But quietly, the reason the Bengals were playing in the Super Bowl and damn near won the thing, by the way, <laughs> interception by Chidobe Uzier sets them up, you know, as well. You know, they, they, they got the turnover. They, 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 they just didn't get one last stop. They held them to 16 points defense. with three minutes left, right? Yeah, like, I mean, you know, you can only do, you can only do so much. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll regret a, the fourth and one on the Rams' last drive. Luna Rumo said he's watched it probably a million times. <laughs> where they had a fourth and one uh, on the Rams go ahead drive deep and deep in the Rams zone end. They did a, they ran a jet sweep to uh, Cooper cup and Von Bell comes on the blitz on the outside. Perfect call against it. But cup just makes a great instinctual play and cuts inside Von Bell and gets the first down. I mean, if they make that play it could be basically game almost game over. I mean, the Bengals are set up late. In the, so it's again, one play away from a completely different narrative. Um, but I just, I, the one thing that to me was criminal, criminal about last year was how little people talked about the Bengals defense and how good they actually did play and were all year. And it's just crazy to me, Paul, how, I mean, you're seeing long form stories written and everything when it comes to Sean McVay, it, the, the genius of Sean McVay just reaches yeah. another level this off season where if they get one stop on that last drive, I mean, we're talking about Sean McVay pissing down his leg in another Super Bowl. I mean, I don't, yeah. it just seems like they were just running into a brick wall all night, and, and the Bengals deserve a lot of credit for that. They, he had no answers for the Bengals' defense most of that night. And then the last drive, they decide, okay, let's just force the ball to Cooper Cup. Enough enough, you know, screwing around. Let's just get him the ball. doesn't really matter what the coverage is. They do it. They get down there. Eli Apple on Cooper Cup, not exactly a fair fight one-on-one in that spot with that throw. And now it's, you know, the narrative is the exact opposite. We'd be talking about the Bengals defense in totally different terms if they win that Super Bowl, if they get a stop there. For for years of watching teams lose at the precipice, um, you know, in, when under Marvin Lewis, where they lost in the first round of the playoffs five straight years, you know, I developed a very keen sense of this line. To the winners go the narratives, okay? <laughs> so the, the Bengals were considered losers. They were considered untalented uh, you know choke artists whatever and those great players on those teams were diminished for how good they were because they would they would lose in in these some of these games whether it was those players faults or not or you know there would be all kinds of crazy stuff you know the the legend of the meltdown at paul brown game where perfect happens with antonio brown and all that stuff that went down in that game. Um, But all of that was painted in a very much a pro Steelers light after that, because to the winners go the narratives, right? Both teams melted down pretty hard actually in that (laughs) game. And there was a lot of crazy stuff that went down, but nobody ever talks about the one side of it because to the winners go the narratives. And it's the same way here. 
you know, with the Super Bowl where you're talking about one just half an extra extra second on Aaron Donald on fourth and one. And we're talking about Burrow to chase to win the Super Bowl in one of the greatest, what would have been one of the ballsiest throws and potential touchdowns in NFL history if he throws it with Chase running with Ramsey on the ground. Um, oh, you know, oh my Clay, God. I don't know if you know this. I know locally people know this because we talked about it a bunch, but um, he audibled it. He sent really on the go ball fourth. Think about, think about the, think about the cojones it takes on a two minute drive in the Super Bowl on fourth and one in your own end to send Jamar Chase on a go ball and say, I'm going to throw it for all the marbles right here. Cause I've got press man against Jalen Ramsey, but I believe in my dude that much. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to have that available to me. And I want to throw that. And he did. And maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was a fool's errand. But it it was so close. People don't realize. I don't think that people quite realize how close that was to happening. Him literally hot routing Jamar Chase on what would have been one of the ballsiest throws in NFL history and could have gone for a touchdown if they could have blocked Aaron Donald. But I bet a lot of teams can say that about a lot of plays. <laughs> I think you're right. I don't think I'm not enough not nearly enough people know that. Yeah. I mean, it's that, the other insane. side of that play that doesn't, that, that gets, it, it, trust me, it's known here locally. People have seen this uh, sweated, had nightmares over the snapshot of Burrow going to the ground while Ramsey's on the ground <coughs> and Chase is running free. But, um, you know, it's uh, what, what, what could have been, I guess. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah, it's uh, I, I haven't looked at the um, the all the all twenty two of that one, but wide open. Take a right peek there. Take a peek. Oof. It's something. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a couple. I mean, you know, it was a it, you know really two series in that game. Not to go you know revisionist history on the Super Bowl here, but I mean, they have a third and one, fourth and one on the opening drive of the game, um, and they aren't able to convert it. Third and one, they gave it to Samaje P. Ryan, and he didn't get it. Uh, without Joe Mixon in there. And then on, on fourth and one, Burrow misses a wide open T Higgins just standing there in the slot and tries to yeah. pass the ball to Jamar Chase. And the Rams go the other way at midfield. Last drive of the game, third and one, fourth and one. They give it to Samaj P. Ryan. He runs it and Aaron Donald stops him. And then the play, of course, on fourth and one where, where he goes down that everyone's seen a million times. And, you know, again, that that defines the game right there. I mean, uh, convert one yard a couple of times and they're scoring points on the opening drive or they're doing what they did all year, which is probably score points on that last drive. And that's how close it was. But, you know, if you listen to the way people talk about it, it was never close, never even that close. Like the Rams basically ran away with it only because of luck and this, you know, but that's how it is painted often. And, And that's how, the Rams are painted from last year. Clearly they had the right way of doing it the whole time. I mean, we're talking about a play, yeah, a call. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, they didn't have to call that call on Logan Wilson down there inside the 10. No, that ends up setting it up. It would have been fourth. It would have been just like the Raiders game. It would have been fourth down and a long way to go to try to get it into the end. zone. maybe they do. But I mean, again, that's all of these things at that level. You know, we, we act like there's such a huge difference between the Rams and the Bengals last year and because of the way it ended, but so minuscule. 
so tiny. You forget like about all these details over time. Large part in the NFL. Yeah. Once you win Bengals the Super Bowl, the Bengals fans haven't forgotten. But <laughs> like to your point, on, no, on nor, the nor will they until they until Burrow can break through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, what an egregious <laughs> flag called on that on, on Logan Wilson there. I mean, it was. But you know what? There were you know I I thought as a whole actually I thought it really I thought the refs evened out in that game. Well, you had the the deep touchdown to Higgins where he clearly pulled on that's Gale right Ramsey's face mask. That, and then you had that call that kind of, to me, those were almost, and then the play before that, Jermaine Pratt clearly like almost tackled the running back out of the backfield and they didn't call it. Cause I, I had a fateful tweet. You should never have a fateful tweet, but it was, well, I guess if they're not calling that the refs are at, are clearly just not interested in throwing any flags in this game right after that play. And then after that came the onslaught of flags. There was like three flags, all of them in down there. You know, the next play was Wilson. Then there was a PI or whatever it was. And it's like, they, it changed at the end, which is where the frustration came from the Bengals and their fans was that they started calling the game different at the very end than they had really all game. But I really didn't think, that that was one where anybody should be blaming referees like you would and like people yeah. still do probably Seahawks fans I'm sure what from like 04 against the Steelers I know there's still a lot of I just want prison rules at the end of games I don't even yeah. care like, just completely <laughs> get rid of the flags just yeah. no I just send I, get, the rest, I want send the rest to go home yeah. right yeah just yeah. just go home get the hell out of here let them play there should be a that should be the thing like at the two minute warning uh, you know, everybody stands up and applauds the ref's effort, and then they go into the locker room, and it just it's just call your own fouls from that point on. I like it. Yeah, call your own fouls. Otter system. That's all. That's it. Well, Paul, you're the man. That was outstanding. Uh, God, where where can people uh, find you on Twitter? I got it. I got it right here. I don't want. It's at Paul Denner Jr. Right. At, yep, Apple Denner Jr. It's all you got to do is just go on to Twitter uh, there or in, at the Athletic, of course. Myself and Jay Morrison, uh, both covering the Bengals, hear that podcast, growling our Bengals podcast, and uh, you know, just just trying to keep up with you, TD. You know, we I love all the work you do, you've done, and uh, it's been so fun to watch your project take off. And uh, next time I'm in Buffalo, because I got I have uh, in laws up there. Uh, where where we go? Are we going to Hamburg? Is that the is that the spot? Let's do it. Absolutely, man. Let's get some beers uh, at Hamburg Brewing Company right around the stadium, about ten minutes away. So okay, but we got to get wings somewhere too. We got to show you the good wing spots. We'll uh, we'll do it right. Yeah, I've 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 had a few. I've I've had a few, but I've mostly had them at uh, uh, my my wife's grandmother would always get them ordered in, or she'd have some special. She'd she'd makes they'd have beef on weck in her basement. <sighs> Uh, and so like authentic Buffalo beef on weck in a grandma's basement. Oh, that's, that's some legendary Buffalo stuff right there. Now, so I felt like I feel like a, a, a little bit of a Buffalonian. I've been ushered in to see kind of the <laughs> underbelly of the greatness. Uh, but I do need like a true wing trip, I guess, to make myself, uh, um, I don't know, christened. Yes, and absolutely. And then, you know what? When I'm back in Cincinnati, which hopefully will be soon because man, what a fun team to cover. Just love getting there. And, and the city's underrated. I, I love Cincinnati as a city, totally but I got to give Chile another, another shot. I think it was 2016. Maybe when I did a Vontez perfect story, Yeah, I took like a little swipe at skyline Chile in my story. And, uh, I had some people coming after me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know what? I got, I got to give it's it personal. Shot. It's like, it's like insulting your family around here. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, we can take our shots. And I, I don't, I actually, 
I don't, I don't mind it here because players, we talk to players a lot about Skyline Chili and they don't like it. A lot of them, because I honestly think if you grew up here or you grew up used to it, like you, you just love it. It's like something it like gets into your bloodstream somehow. And like, you just, it's like it's party like made of nicotine or something. I think there's <laughs> nicotine in it. And like, you just, you just, it's just an addiction. But if, if you're not, it's weird. You're not used to it. It scares you. It looks, it looks crazy and you don't like it. And that's totally fine. And like people understand when people get all mad and yell, Skyline Chili sucks. Like we don't care. Like I, I like it. We like it. It's part of what makes Cincinnati Cincinnati. The fact that you don't is totally fine. I get it. No one's asking you to like it. Stop yelling about it. And what mostly makes me mad is people don't realize Cincinnati is an incredible food city. Like there there are like legendary chefs that have blown up lately all across the city over the Rhine has become a like foodie heaven. And it's an awesome city for great, great food um whether you're talking about barbecue whether you're talking about fine dining whether you're talking about beer it's a huge brewery town there's like i love that brewery every every neighborhood has local brewery rheingeist is, is one that's downtown 50 west is one of my favorites uh there's there's tons of but every neighborhood has its own good one which is not uncommon but it's a really big deal here it, there's a lot of history with these old breweries that got renovated and these really cool spaces yeah. um there's one right by my house mad tree that's massive and that just fills up every day and it's it's just like all of this exists here but people are too busy screaming about chili <laughs> to even know that this thing exists that cincinnati is this incredible food and beer town um and so that's the only thing that frustrates me. Stop yelling about the chili. Come to town and let me show you how good think, this city is. That's probably good, though, that we're all talking about chili because it keeps Cincinnati a secret, right? If I'm a local, I kind of like that's that. Right, yeah. You that's know, fine you by know, me. I don't mind. Argue about our shitty chili and, you know, yeah. have your fun with that and let <laughs> us enjoy the eagle. You know, yeah. that fried chicken's incredible. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I, I would kind of like that if I'm a local, so. Yeah, I, I I don't mind. It just it just feels personal when people yeah they're like you know it's it's just it's unnecessary. No one's asking anybody to like it. Stop well, honestly, I think it. it's, it's always the first thing people go to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just brought it up. I bet you everybody does, and it's the same thing in Buffalo, where everybody thinks that everybody in Western New York is just smashing through tables. Like it's it's kind of <laughs> dumb, in my opinion. Like. Like fans smash your tables when the team sucked and now they're good. Yeah. Why are you still, why are you still breaking your tables? Like find a hobby guys. Like it's not, yeah. it's not really everything you see at a tailgate. I, I think, you know, yeah. it's been a while, but I, I don't think that's just rampant everywhere. Famously uh, my wife and some of our friends, we all went up when the Bengals played the bills. This is probably maybe six, seven years ago. And they played in a game where all four seasons happened in one game. It was like, it was like the most Buffalo thing. It was maybe October and it was, it was warm. Everyone's peeling layers. It felt like summer. The sun was out. The sun went away. There was like rain. And then all of a sudden next thing you know, they're in the stadium and it started snowing. And it was like, how could all four seasons happen in one five hour period? And it, Buffalo, man, it's just a unique place. When I think of it, I think of, uh, I think of that game too. Well, maybe they'll be playing in the AFC championship game and it's either going to be cold and Cincy or cold. 13 in Buffalo. seconds away, 13 seconds away from it last year. Right. I mean, 
where we almost yeah. had Burrow Allen instead of Burrow Mahomes. And we could have had a, uh, I don't know what the weather was like in Buffalo uh, on that particular Sunday, but I'm going to guess it was probably really cold. Cold. I don't think it was snowing that day. I remember thinking about that because it would have been historic if they hosted the AFC championship game, but I don't know for my money. I think it could be what we see this year. Could be there. I mean, there's about 10 different uh, options, right? I mean, the AFC is so hyper loaded. I don't think anybody would be surprised to see any of any of those teams from the AFC West Bengals, Ravens, Bills. I mean, there's Colts are sneaky. I mean, there's like, there's just so many teams that you can see it, you know, which full circle, it's tie the bow TD, like any good long form. Right. I mean, that's just it. Culture, momentum, whoever gets the most out of those middle, those guys, the talent is so even across the board at the top of the AFC. It's going to be about whoever has that culture that propels some of their good players to play great and some of their average players to play good and kind of gets that special thing going. So we just don't, you don't know who that's going to be. We'll see. We'll see who can make it happen. Perfectly put Paul, you're the freaking man. Thanks so much. I think I said 15 minutes and we almost went for an hour. So uh, I could do another hour. I got, I got time. We're uh, (laughs) happy to do it. You're not, you know, doing some calisthenics for this exhibition game tonight, you know, gearing up mentally, physically. I got my work. Look, I have little kids as you can probably tell by behind me. So I get up early. We're up early. I get, I've already got a workout in. I mean, you know, we're deep in it already. This is, I'm already like, got, I checked a lot of boxes today, TD. One of the best parts about having little kids, right? I mean, we get up at like 4.35 each day so and your body time. gets used to it. It's great. Yeah, you get a lot of time for thinking in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? So <laughs> don't sleep much, but yeah, there's, there's get a the lot of Get the thinking out of the that. way in the middle of the night and then get the doing done uh, when you've already been up, you know, getting all your boxes checked before it's even lunchtime. Well, thanks so much, man. We'll, uh, we'll have to yep. catch up here soon. Looking forward to it.